name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins to God, our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake. He forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, 
and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. for our God, alleluia. Worthy is Christ, the heart who was saved, whose blood set us free to be people of God. Power and riches and wisdom and strength of a true faith, and to worship the unity in the power of the divine majesty. Keep us steadfast in this faith, and defend us from all adversities. For you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading appointed for this, the Feast of the Holy Trinity, is from the book of Proverbs, the 8th chapter. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, at the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. 
when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his, in, in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. second reading from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh. 
we stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of the Lord. Together today we confess our Christian faith responsibly in the words of the Athanasian Creed. Whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally. And the, and the Catholic, Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither infusing this persons nor dividing the substance. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreated, or three infinites, but one uncreated, and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty, 
and yet there are not three Almighty, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also are we prohibited by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or, or lords. The Father is not made, nor created, nor begotten by anyone. The Son is neither made, nor created, but begotten by the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceed. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity is to be worshipped. Therefore, whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the Trinity. But it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and He is man, born of the substance of His Mother in this age. Perfect God and perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. One altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies, and give account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved.
Gospel, the eighth chapter of St. John, the words of our Lord Jesus, Truly, truly I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is our text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, dear friends. A good question for you on Trinity Sunday, indeed a good question for you, I would suppose on any Sunday, a good question from a good Lutheran pastor named James Southway, who asks, what is religion? Is religion God getting involved in my life? Or is it me getting involved in God's life? And then he goes on to explain by way of question a little bit more, and he he goes on to say popular religion, the kind of religion that you see on TV and that you hear about on the radio and that you read about in most books at Christian bookstores and the malls, it all starts with our life. And he's right. Think about it for a moment. So much about What's called religion in our day, and even much in Christianity, is what God can do to make things better in my life, in the here and the now, because it seems that everything is centering in on me, and on mine, and on you, and on yours. Bringing God into my life, bringing God into your life to make your marriage better, bringing God into your life to make your kids better. Bringing God into your life to make your job better, bringing God into your life to make your days better, to make your health better, to make your happiness better, to make your relationships better. Bringing God into your life to make everything better than before. God, you see, as being sort of an additive, something that's added to the center and the core of all things to us, which is our life. And that's how often people in our day think Christianity also to be. Any wonder at all then that the focus becomes how you can ensure that God comes into your life and is present in your life, what you do to make it happen. And so TV evangelists tell you that you have to open your heart into God and that you have to to uh, invite him in, that you've got to decide for Jesus, that you have to yield to a spirit so that the spirit will come in and, and fill your life. And then everything will be better. If only you do this, and you bring God into your life, which is the center of all of your thinking and all of your doing, it's all up to you, bringing God into your life. Sound familiar? It does. Sound logical? I suppose. Biblical? Not at all. Scripture never speaks this way. People speak this way. God doesn't speak this way. The things of God never start with us. The things of God never begin with what we do. Isn't that what God told us in the reading that we heard but a few moments ago from the Proverbs? where it speaks of Christ incarnate, where it speaks of Christ even in the pre-incarnate stage, it calls him wisdom who was with the Father from the very beginning. It doesn't begin with you. 
It doesn't begin with me. We're not the center of the universe. We're not the point of origin from which all of the universe came. We're not the point of reference around which everything in this world revolves. We're not the source of any life that is in the universe. To the contrary, by our sins, what have we done? What has humankind done? By our sins, we have unleashed a power that destroys life. Not that's the center of it, but that throws it apart in every direction. By our sin, we've unleashed death in the world. Death that ultimately touches every one of us and everything that we touch that's so evident in our lives, in families, in societies and communities around the world in our day. And what can we do about it all? Absolutely nothing. We are helpless in the wake of the disaster that our own sinfulness has brought into this universe in which we live. Absolutely nothing, as the prophet once said of death, which is the consequence of mankind's sinfulness. It says that death is the shroud that enfolds all people. Death, Isaiah said, is the sheet that settles and covers upon all nations. And look at how long it's taken us to to plug up a hole in a 20-inch pipe in the Gulf of Mexico. We still haven't done it. And then to think that we can address the most pressing problems even of our time and we know that we haven't succeeded there and then even more to think that the answer to the universal problem of death starts with man, starts with us, starts with our lives. As much as man may like to think himself that important, as much as he might like to think himself as powerful in some way as God or to be like God, as much as we might individually like to think that everything begins with us in our lives and everything ends with us in our lives, that's not reality. And nothing shows us that more clearly than the brevity of our days here on earth. You have made my days a mere hand breath, the psalmist said. You know what a hand breath means. It means simply the length of the, of the hand, a few inches. You've made my life but a few inches, the psalmist says. The span of my years, O Lord, is nothing before you. We are but a breath, the psalmist says. It doesn't begin with us. And it won't end with us. As we heard in the reading from Proverbs a few moments ago, everything starts with God, with God whom Scripture unveils for us. We never know it otherwise. Were it not that God himself unveils himself and gives us a glimpse as to who he is, and he identifies himself as, we confess in the Creed, as God the Father, who, as we heard in the Proverbs, made the earth with its fields and the first dust of the world, who established the heavens and drew a circle upon the face of the deep and made the skies that are above. With God the Son, who was identified in the second reading this morning as Jesus the Christ, whom the psalmist speaks of as God when he says, And the Lord said to my Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. And the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of God the Father to God the Son. You see, it all starts with this 
this triune God who has revealed himself to us, the very God that the church has always confessed and is evident in the historic creeds that we confess in the Apostles' Creed, the triune God is confessed. In the Nicene Creed, the triune God confessed. In the Athanasian Creed, which we say but once a year, and the triune God is confessed by the church of all the ages, each of them summarizing scriptures, teaching regarding who God is and what God has done for man and for his salvation. And so Christianity, you see, is really not about God being drawn by me or by you or by us into our lives. It's about me and you being drawn by God into his life. Think on that. It's not about me opening my heart and my life and inviting Jesus into it. It's about God opening his heart and graciously, kindly, lovingly bringing you into his life. God in his mercy drawing us to himself. God in his mercy drawing us into his life. That's what our Lord Jesus says, really, in today's text. Truly, truly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Terepo is the word in the Greek for keeps there. It means to guard, it means to treasure and to cherish. The man, the woman, the child who treasures that word that I've placed in him, the words of Jesus, that link us then to the life of Jesus. And guess what the life of Jesus is? The life of Jesus is eternal life. It's, it's that life that connects us to the life of the Father, which is indeed life everlasting. You see, it all starts and it all ends with him. It all starts and it all begins with what God does for you in bringing you into the eternal life that belongs only to God. And that's why the Lord says in the book of Revelation, I am the Alpha, and the Omega, and the beginning and the end, and the first and the last, referring also to Jesus in Revelation 21, the same exact words, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one in whom St. Paul says we live and we move and we have our being, the God of life who wants far more for you than simply making things in life a little bit better for you while you spend out your span of brief years here upon earth, God is much bigger than that. He has far more to give you than that. He wants to make life not simply better for you. He wants to make life eternal for you. Eternal. Not simply better, but eternal for you, dear friend. And these two things are vastly different. They're vastly different because... If you think of God making life simply better for you, that means that there's a God out there who can simply tweak little incidences in, in life. He can tweak some cause and effect thing over here in your life, and he can tweak some other cause and effect sequence over there in the life of someone else, and then that divinely tweaked thing would make things turn out differently than they other would, otherwise would have for you. That's making the incidental things of life better for you. And that's all that religion is for a lot of folks, a process by which they invite or by their piety entice 
God into their life to work out and to tweak out certain things that will make their lives better while they're here, that will tweak a little bit this problem or that problem for this challenge or that problem, a tweaky religion with a God who simply tweaks things. But that's not what Christianity is. It's vastly different from making things eternal for you in order to make things not simply better for you, but to make things eternal for you, God graciously draws you into his life because, you see, there is no other eternal life than that which belongs to God. And there's only one way, only one, to be drawn into the eternal life of God, and that is through the life of God's eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father and his eternal life but by me. The one of whom the Apostle John says, we know that the Son of God has come. This is the true God and eternal life. He draws you unto himself that you might have eternal life, eternal life in God the Son, because through him and through him alone, God dealt directly, and he's the only one who has dealt directly with the sin and with the death that would have kept you forever from being able to have that eternal life to which God would draw you. And he didn't do it by tweaking something apart from himself over here, or by tweaking something in your life apart from himself over there, by dealing with your sins and with death at a safe distance from you. No, he dealt with man's sin, he dealt with your sin, he dealt with our death. How? By becoming what we are. God becoming man by becoming what we are to do what we do, to die our death for us, to suffer our sins for us. As the Athanasian Creed on this Trinity Sunday put it so eloquently concerning God in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and He is man, born from the substance of His mother in this age perfect God and perfect man. You see, by allowing himself to become man, God becomes vulnerable to everything that sin does to us in this world and to all that it would do to separate us from him eternally. He even became our sin for us and experienced our eternal death for us as he hung upon the cross for us from which he would be divinely catapulted for us from earth's time and space into the timelessness of eternity that he might bear upon the cross the eternal separation from God that each of us deserves. But he did it all for you, that you might know, that you might experience eternal life and be drawn into his eternal life, the life that he drew you into through holy baptism a long time ago, even as he will, little Walter David, met me at the second service this morning, drawing you up out of the waters of baptism wherein he cleansed you and received you, 
and dressed you with the garb of his righteousness, that garment of salvation that he supplies for all whom he invites to his feast, singing with all the gathered, even as we did a short time ago, Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, that feast at which with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we sing holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth. The ancient song of the seraph around God's throne. The sanctus of the seraphim of the triune God into whose life we are being drawn by the very body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who said he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You see, through the inspired word of God, the Holy Spirit, which brings you the sacrifice and the sacraments of God the Son, Jesus Christ, all the while God the Father drawing you in this way into his eternal life. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. It's a day of remembrance as we honor the dead who served our country and recall especially the sacrifice of life's blood that's been made by so many to ensure that we can do what we're doing today, that we're able to gather together as a people and, and openly praise our God and openly confess our faith in the one true triune God. It's a freedom that's not enjoyed by a lot around the world. It's a freedom that certainly has not been enjoyed by most Christians in most times and in most places. And therefore, it's a freedom that's not to be taken lightly, but rather one for which we surely tomorrow and today should thank God. As has been often said in so many ways, freedom is never free. Others may pay the price of it for us, but it's not free. It's costly. In this fallen world, freedom is always required that a blood price be paid for it. Shed blood, commemorated by the words of a Canadian physician and a lieutenant colonel named John McRae who wrote the famous World War I poem that's entitled In Flanders Fields, which speaks of poppies red growing over the bodies of soldiers dead who bled for the freedoms that we enjoy. A poem which inspired a woman at the time, a professor named Moina Michael, to write the following words which began the custom that I remember so well and perhaps many of you do from your childhood, the custom of wearing red poppies in remembrance of veterans and fallen soldiers on Memorial Day. And she wrote, We cherish too the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led, it seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders' fields. If that is true of the blood of the sons of the nations on Flanders' fields, it most certainly must be true of the blood of the Son of God that was shed for the life of the whole world. Its power never ever dies, but ever draws us 
into the eternal life of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, the Son, 
the Word become flesh, in whom ever dwells all the fullness of deity bodily. By the sacrifice of Christ's body on the cross and with his blood, you have reconciled us men to you, and are now pleased to hear the prayers that we pray in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we beseech you now to hear the prayers of your children and answer them in accord with your wisdom and kindness. For the Lord's ceaseless gifts of word and sacrament by which he has already resurrected our souls to everlasting life and continues now to prepare them for the day when our bodies too will be raised immortal, we give thanks. And we ask that God would preserve us from losing trust in the power of these sacred means. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. We ask the triune God to receive our thanks for the new life to be granted today to Walter David Mitby through the baptismal washing of water in the Spirit. And we pray that Walter, having been baptized then into and marked in the, with the name of the triune God, would ever be defended by the Lord from all harm of false belief and despair, that kept in the faith he would with us all come to inherit the fullness of everlasting life. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. For the leaders of our land, that they might be granted the wisdom in which God delights, and use it to govern well the people of this land. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. For the citizens of this land, that we might possess a spirit of peace and a willingness to submit to those given to govern us. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. We pray for those who stand in special need of healing and who are undergoing or have undergone treatments or procedures. To that end, we pray for Sean O'Brien, that he might and others might be granted patience to wait in faith upon the Lord, at whose feet all things, even illnesses and infirmities, must bow where he so bids. We pray that those chronic, for those chronically ill, including Dick Much and Elsie Much, Hugh Ryan, the homebound members of our congregation. We pray for them that they might recall that their Heavenly Father yet upholds creation. Their brother, Christ Jesus, has redeemed them body and soul, and that the Holy Spirit will not fail to bring to them the comfort they need. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who mourn the death of dear ones, we pray that God would relieve their grief and bring them, or continue to make them, to find earth's highest rest in the, in the eternal peace that has been provided in Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray that we might be citizens in whose hearts gratitude resides, as this weekend we contemplate the high sacrifice many soldiers have paid, in order that we of this land might enjoy the freedoms that we do. As we reflect upon life lost for the sake of our liberty, we thank our Lord that he would work through their sacrifice to remind us of the self-sacrifice of his Son, which freed us from eternal bonds and won for us citizenship in heaven. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For faith to believe what human perception cannot detect, that the body and blood of Jesus Christ are most certainly present in the supper here given, and that through it we might be pardoned of what we've been and what we've done, and return home today forgiven. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who celebrate particular moments of God's grace in their lives, anniversaries of marriage or of birth or baptism, 
and for those who mark and celebrate graduation, that all might readily give thanks to God, who most beneficently gives all that we celebrate. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Rising high above all angels and beyond the host of heaven's saints, we know these prayers are heard by you yourself, holy and heavenly Father, for the sake of the suffering and death of your Son, and by the Holy Spirit, who live and reign together with you three persons, and yet the one and only God, now and for ages upon endless ages. Amen. The Lord be with you. give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, who with your only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit are one God, one Lord. In the confession of the only true God, we worship the Trinity in person and the unity in substance of majesty co-equal. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, Lord of heart, heaven earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the
God the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.